0: Okay, what is up, everybody? Welcome back. We're back. All new episode of Low Value Mail. Uh, This right here is episode, just be cool about it, episode 69 of Low Value Mail on this uh, July 11th, 2023, in the year of our Lord. Speaking of which, we are joined tonight by... um, very uh very excited about this guest we are joined tonight by robert m price who will be joining us uh very shortly robert m price is an american new testament scholar who argues in favor of the christ myth theory the claim that a historical jesus did not exist he's the author of a number of books on biblical studies and the historicity 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 of Jesus, I don't know. That's is that a word? I mean, it's for sure a word. Uh, I took it from his Wikipedia. So, and he's also a former Baptist minister. So this one's all sorts of interesting. And a uh, cool part about this is that one of the patrons actually suggested this guest. Um, which is kind of a cool feature. If you want to support the show, is that you can suggest guests, and then I can go get them. So, uh, shout out. I don't. I don't have recall who it was who suggested it. I can find it, but. Uh, this was suggested by one of the guests and we'll bring it on shortly before we do anything we are back on YouTube on a different channel though this is the new channel for all uh for all streaming basically all podcasts all low value mail the bathhouse female dating strategy if I ever do that ever again who knows there's a chance that we've seen the end of that it's possible I will promise nothing I make no promises there I do promise you that we have a lot of good uh bathhouse and low value mail content over on this channel so please Hit the bell, hit the subscribe button. If you've done uh, neither of those things, make sure you do that uh, so we can uh, get back up and running. I appreciate you all. And so, just before we get started, obviously, please just like, like, and subscribe if, if you know all that stuff. And uh, if you're listening to this, leave a review or a rating, you know, on Apple or whatever. You you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, The after show tonight, we have an after show uh, as always. Starting at 11 p.m., there's a link in. Uh, I'll, I'll put the link below. It's not there yet, but I'll put the link below. It's going to be on a different, um, a different link. Same channel, 11 p.m. We've been having fun with those. So right when this ends, you can just head on over there, and then we'll start. Usually about 15 minutes afterwards. So just uh, and it, the subscriber after show is open to everybody, but there's some perks uh, if you want to support the show. Speaking of supporting the show. You can do so over at patreon.com slash low value mail or uh, maybe arguably better twitter.com slash Danny jokes and just hit that subscribe button. I uh, I think that's I, I've been saying it for a few months now. I think that's going to be the move. I think that's going to overtake Patreon. They finally they're making a lot of new features available. So I think that's the move. And Patreon's not fun to use as an app. And Twitter is the best. So. Uh, please consider doing that next week. Our guest is author of the Franklin scandal and the man that published Jeffrey Epstein's black book. Nick Bryant is going to be on the show. So that is going to be very exciting. Um, and what else? Uh, tomorrow night we are back with an all new episode of the bathhouse. Sorry if it's echoey. I don't know if the sound sounds a little weird. Uh, we're in a new studio. So if the lighting seems a little different, we're just figuring it out. But we've moved to a new studio it is, uh, Maurice says those dark circles are gone. Don't say that because then my, my girl, uh, she'll hear that and that'll embolden her to continue to bother me. So, um, but we're back with an all new episode of the bathhouse tomorrow night, ten thirty PM live from the stand comedy club green room. Uh, we got Chris O'Connor from stuff Island. We have Onika McLean and you never knew who else uh, might be joining us, and also is that it? Yeah, and just sign up for my mailing list if you want to know when I'm doing uh, comedies and such. I'll be in a uh, Bur- hometown show, Burlington, Ontario, August 11th and 12th at Yuck Yuck's Comedy Club. Uh, I think tickets are available uh, currently, and that is it. All right, so we got. I- I'm I've been listening to uh, this gentleman's. Uh, a, lot, a lot of his podcasts for the past couple days just kind of getting in the zone here. And now I'm not I'm not a religious man. I'm not a religious man. I'm, uh, I'm not I'm not Christian, obviously. I'm Jewish, but uh, it is very interesting. It is a very interesting guest. Uh, so again, shout out to the patron who uh, suggested him. And without further ado, we are here with Robert M price uh so for those of you you probably all caught the beginning but just uh they couldn't hear you actually so if you want to just quickly please uh robert tell tell everybody about yourself
1: well, I got into uh, fundamentalism when I was an adolescent, and uh, that got me immediately into the study of the Bible. Given what we supposedly believed about it—infallible, inerrant, the revelation from God, etc.—well, uh, uh, this, if that's true, you really got to give it some attention, uh, and uh, if it, it's an, that important. Well, of course, uh, it took uh, quite a number of years, but my positive interest in it turned to skepticism because a close scrutiny reveals the various problems. And then you with it, uh, uh, historical contradictions and inaccuracies, uh, anachronisms, contradictions between the views of the different biblical writers. And then you you realize that... um, Christian scholars were not a, oblivious of these things but the way they dealt with them was so contrived it, it just seemed obvious it was a lot of spin and so my interest in the bible brought me to a crossroads where i had to decide am i going to be intellectually honest about this or am i just gonna keep going with my faith like you know don't confuse me with the facts and i decided no, i, I if for no other reason than curiosity i've got to pursue the uh, the thing and try to understand it better. And, and by this time, I had uh, lost any kind of belief that this was a revelation from God or that it was inspired or whatever. That was all moot. But it, it was just so fascinating uh, that uh, I guess it was comparable to a classic scholar who's just interested in the Iliad and the Odyssey. He doesn't believe in Zeus or Odysseus or anything, but it's just so fascinating. Right, and, and so I and you were a Baptist minister, is that yeah? Correct? Though by that time, my fundamentalism was long past, uh, I was really in the camp of Bull, Montillic, and then later deconstruction. And so, uh, once you get to that point, you realize it's almost a moot or insoluble question as to whether there is a god. You, you begin to realize that, well, if there is one, it's not the uh the totem deity of of the bible uh and uh is there or isn't there it becomes a very slippery question what do you even mean by god so i was already kind of out there in the the uh, hinterlands theologically when i became a, a a minister which i did only to um throw my hat in the ring to replace uh, the the pastor of a particular congregation who was a very fascinating, um, very committed and, and intellectually honest uh, believer. I mean, he'd preach out of the Bible and quote Nietzsche and Socrates and Kierkegaard. And I thought, geez, if this guy can be a minister, uh, I guess I could too. And so I, uh, I had not taken seminary courses for the ministry it was all academic with me but i i had counseled people and i sort of and they knew me at this congregation so i became a minister i I had no trouble preaching from the bible but i didn't cheerlead for any doctrine Uh, i would pose questions and and uh Uh, develop uh, the issues brought up in various uh, portions of the Bible, which, for all its flaws, certainly does contain a lot of wisdom and and things, so it was pretty easy to use that as a springboard. And uh, there were only a few real conservatives left in the congregation. It it was an unusual bunch. Some of them had been in seminary or graduate school, and they kind of gathered around around the previous pastor and uh, I became his successor, and I I p- preached there and did the whole ministerial thing for about six years. And by then, the the church, which had been built for Harry Emerson Fosdick, the great voice of Protestant liberalism in his day, uh, it uh, he had something like nearly a thousand parishioners, and we had this huge old building built for him. Well, by the time I became the pastor, there was a congregation of only. 50 or so active members oh, wow. and eventually we just couldn't pay for the place anymore and uh that was it i uh left and uh, uh eventually wound up getting a uh a teaching uh position and uh the from which by the way i eventually got uh, fired for for political reasons and yeah. my my conservative views were not welcome either at the council for secular humanism or in the johnny coleman theological seminary so uh, it's tough when you're heretic in both fields
0: yeah you're just across the board i assume that like conservative conservatism would be welcomed in uh the like the church and stuff like that but uh, i guess you're saying that was that was not the case
1: well, that's right because uh, liberal Protestant denominations, like my Baptist church, was a fusion of a of a southern baptist and an american baptist church and the the it was more active with the american baptists and they tend like the presbyterians uh, uh, episcopal church in the usa uh, the methodists uh, congregationalists tended to be liberal and uh, actually a lot of these churches are liberal to the point where They don't really have theology. It's all left-wing social uh, concern and so on. Well, I wasn't left-wing, and I I was interested in theology, though not traditional dogma. And so um, I was getting along fine uh, in the the unusual church I was in, but I tried to get into the Unitarian ministry uh, for a while there. But they're just, uh, you know, an arm of the Democratic Party, as it turns yeah. out. I realized ah, this is not for me and I'm not for them. Um, yeah, fair
0: enough. So while you were uh, a, a minister, is that you were at that point still in because you could your basis is essentially that. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but so Jesus, Jesus did exist and he just it's not in the form that we think or you're saying there's a or you're saying he did not exist at all.
1: Well, uh, for most of the years, I did. I was kind of again with Bultmann and other critics who said, yeah, there was a Jesus, and he probably was an apocalyptic prophet. I uh, was wrong about that, but he also had many wise things to say. Uh, but then I began to feel like, am I really a Christian? Uh, or do I simply agree with Jesus which isn't quite the same thing and uh then I began to to uh take mythicism more seriously I had laughed this off the idea that there was no historical Jesus it was all myth and fiction and parable uh but that I began to understand that better and and as the years went by I found that that seemed the most plausible option uh, y- you can't know what did or didn't happen in the remote past. So you you can't dogmatize about it. But uh, it seems to me the most likely option that that Jesus was a mythical figure, as several of the other so-called founders probably were. Like, I doubt if there was actually a Moses or a Buddha, possibly not even a real Muhammad. It's uh, surprising. But there's new scholarship on this stuff that looks at Hitherto neglected evidence and uh, new methodologies, and I wound up being very skeptical. But it hasn't made me hate religion. Uh, I view it as uh, a, a kind of poetry, uh, a kind even its theology is a kind of uh, a piece of artwork. Uh, and uh, so I, I look at all the religions as as uh, creations of the human spirit like art literature music and so on and uh you know as a kind of humanist i can hardly hate one of the chief uh, creations of, of human beings which is what i think religion is i doubt if there's any kind of god such as appears in the bible or anything uh, or any kind of god i can figure out uh, but uh, but I, I i love religion and religious people i just i guess i'm sort of like joseph campbell it's yeah. really impossible for me to believe in it but i love it and are, are you a christian like do you identify as such uh sometimes i i will take uh thomas altizer's label as a christian atheist uh, because the, i do find great power in, in the whole thing and its symbolism but not in any literal way and i i don't view myself as anti-christian in some people's definition a lot of people's uh, i would be considered a non-christian but i don't really uh want to go quite that far out of it i i do still have uh sympathies and interest in it that i guess i feel like the loyal opposition yeah uh, it, you you sound
0: that. like you honestly it sounds like how i'm jewish like I'm, a, hmm. I feel like I'm, I'm Jewish on the similar <laughs> way where I go, like I don't like, you know, I'm, I'm not sure about any of that stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I don't uh, necessarily. I understand that. So, and how long did it take you to like arrive at, at that?
1: Uh, like, was I, there uh, a point where
0: you read something? You go, you know what? This is this is it.
1: Like. Uh, yeah I I uh back in I think 1977 I was re-examining everything I was attending Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary which is conservative and evangelical but not quite as narrow as some others and I began to reassess things I had heard and to look at uh thinkers from other schools of thought uh, and openly realizing I'd kind of been sold a bill of goods uh, an authorized sanitized view of everything. Uh, and in 1977, it culminated when I read a great book by James Barr called Fundamentalism. And uh, he went through a lot of the evangelical scholars who I had studied and showed how they were really slanding the thing, as sophisticated as they were. It was really a lot of spin. And I thought, that's just what I thought. and And that was a kind of watershed. And I decided I'm really going to dive into these people that they told me i needn't bother with because they were all victim to non-christian presuppositions and so on i decided let me listen to the other side of the debate and i did and i still didn't at that time i didn't uh reject god i was sort of an agnostic uh, but uh very open to to any possible religious home uh, but um I I didn't really believe in supernaturalism anymore, that there were miracles or ever had been. Uh, and I'd say that was the the real turning point. And eventually, I guess in the uh, early 90s, when I was working on my second PhD, the first one was in theology, which I received in, uh, geez, I guess it was... Uh, something like 85, I forget now. Uh, and the, the second one was in 1990 in New Testament. And so I wanted to really explore all that stuff. And I did. By that time, I was reading Jacques Derrida and other deconstructive uh, thinkers and coming to see that God just did not seem viable in any recognizable form. And, and yet I did I just couldn't really become a religion hater. Uh, I've heard actually atheists say, oh boy, now I can say I hate God. I thought, wait a minute. I thought you didn't believe there was a God. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So that struck me as kind of neurotic. And I tried to emotionally settle down with the pendulum in the middle and to, to even reaffirm all the, the kind of adolescent stupidity I, I had been guilty of as a born-again Christian, I realized I have to see what I can see that was positive in those years. And uh, I feel like I have integrated what I can of both of the periods of my religious life. And So I'm very, like, my best friend is uh, very open-minded, but he's certainly a fundamentalist Christian. Uh, I don't have any problem talking to him, yucking it up with him. It just doesn't matter. I have friends who are communists, Satanists, Moonies, you name it, uh, gay, straight, whatever. I I feel like the more diversity I can experience from friends the more exciting it is uh it's challenging to to my views and I'm open to revising them and uh, it just widens your horizon so there's just no point in being on the war path against anything if, unless you have to be like it's terrorism or something. Sure mm-hmm. sure and now did you kind of because like it, it is essentially
0: your idea that the stories just because as they were passed on they just modified or like how like how did the because I guess the Bible was as we know it was written when like the whatever King James Bible
1: uh well that was sixteen eleven that it was sixteen eleven so how did through.
0: we get from when they said Jesus lived to there I guess like was it just constantly being modified through just um like oral history, essentially, like stories and whatnot.
1: Uh, well, uh, not during the whole time. There are very few instances where. Uh, a a new episode had been added, like the famous thing with a woman caught in adultery, and Jesus says, uh, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. That wasn't originally in there, or uh, a passage about the Trinity in the first epistle of John, that was added much later. Somebody snuck it in, Uh, but that's really the exception, not the rule. Uh, The rule was that it was pretty early on in the first couple of centuries where it was a fluid thing and you had interpolations and rewrites, which you can kind of tell by looking at the earliest manuscripts we have, which start around uh, the year 200. Uh, there's a, a tunnel period of at least a century where we don't have any manuscripts uh, and because uh, it's perishable material and uh, who knows what happened. Uh, were the uh, new Testament books written early on? And, uh, and there was a period where there was liable to be a lot of change or were they written pretty darn late, uh, but still uh From what? I tend to think that, at least with the Gospels, almost the whole thing is a series of rewrites of various Old Testament stories of Moses, Elijah, Elisha, and others, some of whom are miracle workers. If you look closely at them, story after story looks a little too suspiciously like other, especially miracle stories and so i i think that you you had people christianizing the only scripture they had at first namely the hebrew scriptures or the greek version of them uh and uh and there there were stories that seemed to have been borrowed from other Savior figures like Apollonius of Tyana, Pythagoras, and others. If you look at the ones that survive, boy, does this look similar. And you have to ask. And, and plus, there's nothing really that ties the gospel character, Jesus. Into the history of his times, uh, there are a few historical figures that are mentioned, like Pontius Pilate, the Roman procurator, and Joseph Caiaphas, the high priest, and uh, a couple of others, uh, Herod the Great. But if you look closely at these uh, these very few stories, they too seem to be uh, fictional. Uh, the the like people like Herod. Uh, Uh, and Pilate are are shown in ways that don't really mesh with the considerable stuff we know about them. And the Herod, the great story where he murders all the infants of Bethlehem, that just seems to be a rewrite of Pharaoh trying to kill all the Hebrew babies um, in in Egypt. And so you really wonder, do we have any real connection? Like some of the things said about Jesus were said about uh, the Emperor Augustus uh, or others. but you can't really dismiss them as as mythical figures because they're they're too, closely knit into the into world history uh, it just wouldn't make any sense to say oh yeah augustus was a myth no that's impossible romulus the first king of rome now he was very likely a myth but we don't really have any historical records back then and yeah. jesus just seems to float above the whole thing the same with the buddha uh, and uh, and Moses, uh, it they just seem they look they might have existed. If they did, it's no telling what they were actually like. But I don't see enough reason to think that they did exist.
0: And, and what would have been the motivation? Uh, I guess you know, two thousand years ago to create this in in your you know case mythical uh, character like like why? why? I, I mm-hmm. guess that's that's uh, probably a big question.
1: Well, actually, I think the the likely answer is pretty simple, and nor is it my uh, innovation. Uh, there were a lot of different types of early Christianity, including Gnosticism, which was a mystical, the whole raft of, of Christian groups that... Um, based their teaching on revelations from the ascended Christ, supposedly. Uh, we even have descriptions of meetings of disciples who shared what Christ had told them from heaven. Uh, and they all differ. And bishops like Irenaeus in the uh, in the late second century uh, and Tertullian and others, they were they had something much more like modern Christianity, a Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant. They, they differ on many things, but essentially they're, they have the same story. Well, they came up with the idea somewhere along the line to say, you Gnostics, you mystics, you're playing, can you top this? I mean, this guy has this supposed revelation and this one has another one. How do you know any of this stuff is not just in your head? Uh, Well, we have a tradition that goes back to an actual historical founder. He taught his 12 disciples. They taught the bishops. They taught us and so on. So we've got the copyright. Nobody should bother listening to you. You're just making it all up. And uh, this. So it was a kind of a thing. Who's got the authority? Who really? And And this was the second century? Uh, yeah, it may already have begun in the first century. It's it's very difficult to date any of the New Testament right, things. Right, yeah. You'll find a lot of uh, agreement in uh, conservative traditional books as to the likely dates, but I think they're way too early because they're trying to shrink the gap between Jesus and the Gospels, uh, and I, I think the arguments really are bogus, but it was somewhere probably in the late second century, and the, the assumption here is that uh, they that the Jesus they believed in uh, was originally understood to be a heavenly being, Uh, who had not come to Earth, uh, aside from possible epiphanies, like when uh, the angel of the Lord, when Jehovah would appear in human form occasionally in, in the Old Testament, and that the notion that, oh no, he was born as a flesh and blood man, and grew up among us, and became a wandering teacher, and, and all that, and was finally in trouble with Rome, and was crucified, that that seems to have been a, a historicization, a, a kind of humanizing of what at first they believed was a purely celestial figure like the holy spirit pretty much uh, there's reason to believe that they that they uh, earliest the earliest christians believed that in a kind of a of a crucifixion but it had to do with astrological symbolism the lamb that was slain was aries uh, one of the constellations and uh, and things like that it's, it's it's nobody knows but there are there are fascinating bits of evidence that are usually interpreted away in favor of the Sunday school version that, that we we hear uh, so I think it's a very strong theory, though it's it's no dogma with me. You can never know as a historian right. what the heck happened there. Um, so
0: just one quick thing. The phone lines are open, everybody. If anybody wants to call in, you have any questions for uh, Dr. Price? One, triple eight, nine, four, nine, two, nine, six, nine. The phone lines are now open. So um, you, you said that originally, you uh, jesus was actually like you're saying heaven like he he wasn't actually even a person essentially you're saying uh i i can't remember what the term you used there but
1: or he would have been like a celestial uh, deity like the greeks and romans believed in and,
0: and is that in some sort of like texts or anything
1: those uh specific things uh yeah it, it depends yeah like uh in fact Every All Christians believe that that's what Jesus was before the incarnation, that you had the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and, and loads of angels, and at one point, uh, Jesus volunteered to come among human beings as a human being, or at least in the semblance of one, uh, like an angel. Uh, There were a lot of different views on that, but they all agreed that before he appeared on earth, uh, however you want to define that, that he had lived uh, in heaven in the gospel of John in chapter 17, where Jesus is about to be arrested and he knows it and he'll be crucified. And he's, he's praying, Father, restore to me the glory that I shared with you before the foundation of the world. So at least that writer pictured him as a as having been some kind of celestial deity who was part of the creation. Uh, in Judaism, they already had similar ideas. They Like in Proverbs chapter 8 and in the book of the wisdom of Sirach and uh, the wisdom of Solomon, they had the idea that there was a A personified wisdom, Sophia in Greek, Hochma in Hebrew, uh, and that by the wisdom of God, uh, that uh, God had created the world, and they pictured wisdom as a kind of a foreman in charge of the thing, uh, the one to whom God entrusted the creation. Well, the early Christians uh, called him the Logos, which is just grammatically male rather than grammatically female as sophia was but they they believe that had, that entity had appeared on earth as jesus and so it it wasn't even a major hiccup between hellenistic judaism uh and its its sort of influenced it's being influenced by greek philosophy and uh and christianity okay. or between Paganism and Christianity, because there were a bunch of dying and rising God religions that that offered salvation.
0: And, and was paganism like the the main, I guess, religion previous to all of all of this? Like, was it? Actually, you know what? Hold on a second. But let, let's put a pin in that. We got a call right here. I'm uh, gonna pick it up. Just one moment, please. Hello, thanks for calling Low Value Mail. Who am I speaking with? Uh it's Josh. Hey Josh, uh, one moment, and we are gonna get you on. All right, you are on with uh Robert Price. Josh, you're on the show. Go ahead.
2: Ask, ask hey him. Robert, so
3: I'm, I missed the little bit beginning of it. Um, so are you uh? do you guys talk about like the Old Testament? Or are we just refuting like or questioning the existence of Jesus and the Old Testament is verified or?
1: Well, no, I we haven't really gotten into that, but I, as a matter of fact, think that uh, there is very little historical information in the Old Testament, and this has become generally the view of critical Old Testament scholars in the last 20 or 30 years. Uh, Often, these scholars are called Old Testament minimalists, and it's like it doesn't stop being mythical with Adam and Eve and Noah and the flood, but uh, it, it's very likely that there was no David or Solomon, uh, and, and the it starts getting historical much later in the game when you have uh, Israelite and Judean kings like uh, Omri and and people like that, the kind of non-miraculous more dry mundane history uh, and it it looks to these scholars like the old testament is not much older than the new testament although uh, it may embody earlier traditions but there, there appears to be very little historical fact there either
0: oh sorry about that he had some some weird noise going on there uh all right i think we, we lost him um in regard- oh hey uh, there, there you are josh sorry about that you're making some weird noise there so i just muted you uh go ahead
3: oh sorry uh yeah so okay so i, uh, I have a question about um the translation so i went to a, a christian high school and they, they always shoved it down the throat that it was did all this verifying process all these different people translate translated it to different languages so is there any truth to that or
1: well uh the translations and and there were many even in the ancient world uh don't re- i mean th- there are passages where they differ and sometimes you can put it down to a a possible mistranslation but even if, you, if you're if just translating the text that we have today, you can compare a whole shelf full of English translations and find that uh, they don't match. I mean, they're not wildly different, but any translation is gonna have a lot of possibilities. And that was true in, in the ancient world too. That doesn't mean we have no idea what the original said, generally speaking yeah, we do. Um, there are, again, a few places where you can kind of tell something has been added in the process, but the the basis for that is uh, if you don't find, like, the story of the woman taken in adultery where Jesus says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone, uh, that's not in any very early manuscript, or, the ending of Mark, where Jesus says, Those who believe and are baptized will speak in new tongues and ha- handle poisonous snakes and not be harmed and all that stuff. That's not in the earliest copies of the Gospel of Mark. Somebody tacked it on. And there are a couple of other things that are sort of important that were uh, were uh, added on. Uh, but the it really gets tricky. Uh, And here's where the all bets are off. When you look at the manuscripts that do agree, and you uh, think, gee, this chapter doesn't really follow logically. The, the writer seems to be contradicting what he just said. He gives the opposite opinion. What the heck? Uh, and and scholars have suggested, well, that's because somebody didn't like what it originally said, uh, and it was considered too holy for him to just chop what he didn't like, some copyist making a new copy of the, the text. And so he said, well, I will add something here that will make the reader to think, uh, oh, well, Buddy was saying uh, that women could prophesy in church, but once I read this, I guess I must have been wrong because here it says she can't. And you've got things that look like somebody has been penciling in their own opinion. And some people resist that kicking and screaming because if you open the door to that, You're really uh, walking on marshy ground, and that matters if you believe that the Bible is the infallible guide to belief and practice. Now, if you don't think that, uh, I don't think that, it's just an interesting puzzle. But if you do think, hey, I'm not going to do this if the Bible says not to, but am I sure the Bible even says that? Oh, boy, then you really got a headache. Uh, so some people <laughs> are very much against that. Uh, I, it's not an issue for me. So I uh, I do think you can see things that were added during that tunnel period where we don't have any copies old enough to, to be able to check one way or the other. So that's probably more than you wanted to hear, but it's a complex uh, matter. <laughs> Uh, Even having said that, I I don't agree with the people that say it just was completely random. Who knows what the original said? It's not quite that bad. And the translation process really didn't muck it up much either, I
2: don't think. So I I guess what would you recommend? If if someone's
3: interested
4: in finding the most authentic, would you say like the Hebrew original Hebrew, oh, I'm I think Danny would say so, but the original Hebrew Bible <laughs> would be the best one to translate.
1: <laughs> well, uh, I always enjoy comparing different uh translations because some will get a nuance that somebody else didn't, and uh, but they're all legitimate translations, however, in terms of being a strict literal translation i uh favor the the old revised standard version whether you're talking about the old or the new testament but um the uh new american standard bible which was put together by a bunch of fundamentalist scholars uh they because they're such sticklers they really did a, a very strict literal interpretation and i i like that There are some looser ones like the New English Bible, which I'm not even sure is published anymore. There's a replacement, uh, the Revised English Bible. Uh, There was the Jerusalem Bible, and now that's been replaced with a New Jerusalem. The RSV has been replaced by the new revised standard. And what's new about these is that they're inclusive language Bibles, which means they're not even trying to be that literal some of the time. What do you mean by that? I don't inclusive, like that. Like, inclusive, I go with old... like, what do you mean by inclusive? They're non-binary. Like, literally that? Well, that's... well to non-binary. give me one example one important thing in uh, that feminists would point out uh, feminist theologians uh, they'd uh, they they didn't like it when this may seem trivial but it isn't uh, in the epistles of paul he greets the brethren who are at corinth or ephesus or whatever and uh, uh, I, I think it was Elizabeth Schussler Fiorenza, a great uh, feminist New Testament scholar, she said, what was this An all, was this the, the he-man-woman-haters club, like in the little rascals, there were no women in the congregation? Uh, and, and so, in these new Bibles, they would they would have Paul say uh, to the brothers and sisters at Corinth. Well, I don't like that because it's important to realize that though there were women there, you can tell from other things said in it that the fact that he se- speaks initially only to the men tells you something you don't want to hear—that they were chauvinists like all the ancients were, I think it's worth not dressing up the Bible and hiding its warts. And uh, they're beginning to lose track of the difference between the Bible as a historic document. And by that, I don't mean everything in it is real history. I just mean, you know, it's a piece of history. Uh, They they lose sight of that. And they're thinking, well, I uh, want a Bible that won't embarrass people or make them cringe when it's read in in church or synagogue uh and uh and I figure look I, you know I'll apologize for it I won't pretend that that embarrassing uh, or even reprehensible stuff is not in there, but I'll explain it's part of that culture and we're well beyond it. I I don't want to start rewriting the Bible uh, to make it suit people's uh, uh, prejudices or uh, their, uh, that's not the word I want, uh, their modern convictions that I share. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know, so I, I don't uh, to me, like if you're going to do that to the Bible, you don't really need the Bible. I mean, you're but be- you're becoming one of the scriptural writers. Uh, it, it, you you need the Bible to retain its otherness if you're going to be challenged by it. And, and the challenge may be that it says something you just can't buy I remember once I was reading uh, 1st or 2nd Timothy, and it has this crazy-sounding statement that women should keep their mouths shut in church and just uh, uh, stay at home, and they'll be saved through bearing children. And I looked up from the page, I said, what the hell is this? (laughs) This is nonsense. Well, that was the challenge from the Bible, and that's my response to it. You have to be able to do that. You can't just make it sweetness and light. Uh, and so that's the danger today of people rewriting the Bible to to fit modern norms. Yeah. I prefer the modern norms, but I also that's... want accuracy in history. Fair Sorry. enough. All, all, all right. Thanks, Josh. Hey, I, I got to let you go.
0: Danny, I'm a- Oh, sorry about that. We're going to take another call. Hi. This gentleman Danny, I'm Elliot. Hello. Hey, w- hey, hey, one second please. I'm just going to patch you through one moment, please. And oh, good, he... great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, All right, you are In on now. with Robert. You're on with Robert Price. Uh who are we speaking with?
2: Hi. I'm Elliot, uh and Hi, I'm Elliot. calling yeah, hi, Danny. You do have a great show. Thanks for all you do, man. Um, Thank you. Appreciate and thanks it. Thanks for this great guest. Mm-hmm. So my question is uh, sort of coming from a pastor from Idaho I follow, Steve Wahlberg. He talks about prophecy. Could you please relate how prophecy has been used? The three different interpretations I know of are preterism, futurism, and historicism. So I'm thinking of Daniel 7 and Revelation 13 and Revelation 17. So could you please talk about the Antichrist prophecy and how that's used?
1: Uh, yeah, that is a great example. Uh, it seems to me that, to be fair with the text, you have to uh, recognize that those writers believe that everything was going to happen uh, within the lifetime of their readers, they're warning them. Uh, and uh, the, uh, even in Daniel, which is written, it's, it's a pseudepigraph. epigraph. Uh, a, it's written under uh, a pen name of a er, far earlier character, sort of to claim his clout. Like if I said, hey, I got a prophecy. Yeah, who cares what you think you uh, were told? Uh, But if I say, hey, I I got something from the Bible here and it says that uh, they're going to, every force everybody to have electric cars Oh, so wasn't accurate i mean you're gonna say get out of here uh but if i can interpret daniel as having said that they will say oh, oh i guess i better take that seriously uh but it, it seems like even there he's talking about what was happening in the days of the readers namely the hasmonean revolt against the seleucids so that the the um the uh, man of sin, etc., who exalts himself as God, uh, they're talking about the Seleucid emperor Antiochus Epiphanes. Well, that blew over. Uh, they expelled the Seleucids. Now, Jews who read the Bible, they couldn't persuade themselves that that any part of the Bible was a dead letter. And they kept uh, reinterpreting prophecies. Some t- like the Dead Sea Scrolls writers, they they knew that it had a definite meaning that was no longer relevant. the The thing prophesied is over with now. But they figured. God must still have something to tell us. So they began to reinterpret some of these prophecies as dealing with their time. And so some Jews thought that when Caligula uh, was trying to, in the Roman Empire, was trying to make himself a God worshipped by everybody, including Jews, and was going to bring an image of himself into the Jerusalem temple. They said, here we go again. Uh, this, uh, I know what Daniel was talking about, but his prophecy fits this. He's predicting this. Uh, and uh, so the, the issue is, is it a repeating thing? And I think the best uh I'll get back to Revelation specifically in just a second. Well, okay, how about this? Uh, you have the same sort of thing in, in Revelation when it says that um, the mark of the beast is, is the number of a man, his number is 666. Uh, and And that was a common thing to convert somebody's name into a number. Uh, you know, uh, A is one, B is two, et cetera. Like the Gematria or
0: whatever. We have a guy who calls in and loves us. Yeah. Right?
1: And and so, you know who I mean right now. I don't dare say it publicly, but you got it right. This takes wisdom. Uh, let him who has it count the number of the beast, for it's the number of a particular person. It's 666. Well, he's he's almost certainly talking about Nero, uh, about Domitian, who was understood to be the second coming of Nero, and six 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 calculates out to Neron Caesar. Caesar. Uh, Nies, what do I say? It's too late in the evening. Uh, Nero Caesar. And uh, and however, did the world end shortly after that? Uh, No, Uh, but he was right, essentially, about the danger you were in. And so what happens when people today say that, oh, so-and-so is the Antichrist. Bill Gates is the Antichrist. Pretty good candidate, in my opinion. Anyway, uh, (laughs) you're preaching to the choir right here. (laughs) Uh, Or the universal product code? Is that the mark of the beast? Uh, All these things where where fundamentalists embarrass themselves and say, oh, this is it, he's coming next week. No, no, you're wrong about that but it's the same kind of wrong pentecostals are when they insist that glossolalia speaking in tongues is speaking in an angelic language or or some uh, earthly language you never learn. No, it's not. There's been a lot of samples of it taped. There's no syntactical structure. It's not uh, any kind of language as we know it. But that's not the point of it. It's an ecstatic spiritual experience that goes beyond any, like, uh, what is it? It passes understanding. You cannot put it into words, and yet you must speak. Uh, Well, that's what it really is. Well, in. The same way, people that think that biblical prophecies um, must eventually be literally fulfilled, and I think it's going to be next Tuesday or whatever. I mean, they're always saying that's going to happen in nineteen eighteen or whatever. Yeah, right. They had the Mayans
0: one recently. Remember the Mayan one a few years
1: ago, where they got the world. Not even in the Bible, but the same thing. Yeah, Yeah, they and there are other ones too. It's all like Jean Dixon. They say she predicted Kennedy's assassination, and it happened. But that's probably just dumb luck. But the value in these prophecies that that makes them a little more than just stupid, uh, jumping the gun predictions is what Jacob Neusner, the great rabbi, uh, said that these prophecies provide historical paradigms they provide cameos of certain pivot points in history that give guidance to the readers of the bible like was hitler the antichrist a lot of people thought so and uh you know there's probably never been a better candidate but the world didn't end when they took him out right, right. And, and yet he was and there's several other people. It seems and like there could be
0: multiples. Mm-hmm. I said it seems like there could be multiple antichrists. All right, hold on, we got another uh, call here. One moment, please. Hello, thanks for calling Low Value Mail. Who am I speaking with? Hey,
2: hey, I had a question. Yeah, just guess. one moment,
0: please, while I uh, patch you through. And all right, you're you're on with uh, Doctor Price. Go ahead.
2: Hey, um, how you doing? It's Charlie. Hey, yeah, how, you how you about you? Good. I had a question about the um, <clears throat> specifically what your your opinion of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is in terms of um, the Bible. The Bible is it true that it links the manifestation of the Holy Spirit to the crucifixion of Jesus, like um, the ability to be able to speak in tongues, to heal the sick, to feel the power of the Holy Spirit, like that. Is that supposedly that that's that's the that's what happened? That is the result of the crucifixion. That that Jesus, that the body of of Christ and and God is on earth now because that has been that is finished. Is that what that is that linked together? Do you think
1: it could be? Depending on like it's it's not unlikely because. It's Jesus when he dies, it says he gave up or he released the spirit. Now, I, I think that's an, an intentional double entendre. They mean he breathed his last, he died. But there is this idea that he is is uh giving the spirit. Um, for instance, at at uh, oh uh earlier in the in the gospel of John. Uh, He says, let him who is thirsty come to me and drink, uh, for out of his uh, belly or heart or whatever will flow rivers of living water. And uh, the comment of the evangelist is... This he spoke of the Holy Spirit, which was not yet, usually they add, given, because he was not yet glorified. Well, in the Gospel of John, glorified is strangely a synonym for crucified. He is lifted up. Like the serpent in the wilderness, so that his, mm-hmm. his, the the death is marking his imminent return to the Father, and uh, so in that sense, yeah, I think that that does make sense. That the though it hap- it happens in Pentecost in the book of Acts. But um, John handles that differently in chapter 20, when he, he appears resurrected and breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Well, now they're equipped to be able to um, absolve sins and so forth, uh, which they couldn't have done before. And so th- that does seem, to, I mean, that's only one of the things. It's It's like the gifts of the Spirit, like speaking in tongues, is the immediate result of the pouring out of the Spirit on Pentecost. I think it is a fair uh, statement, a a, a reasonable reading, to say that the giving of the Spirit, whether you want to focus it on on Calvary or at Pentecost, uh, or in that locked room with the disciples on Easter, that it is um, related to the crucifixion resurrection complex. It's all sort from of one big event, so I, I think that's that's a fair statement.
2: Sure. Uh, and and the other the other thing I was at wondering was, do you what's your personal opinion of? Uh, I've been to churches, but I've had friends that have. Um, I don't go to a Pentecostal church, but I've. Had friends that have claimed that they felt the power of the Holy Spirit, that they felt the, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. What is your opinion on that? Do you do you um do you believe in it? Do you believe in that?
1: Well, um the this sounds odd, I know, but I figure if God is going to communicate with a human being, he has to do it through the equipment. He created in human beings. So what are you, what is, how are you feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit? I would suggest it's basically emotional. It's ecstasy and awe. Uh, these are these are feelings one may have, brother causes. Uh, uh, I went to uh, the Museum of Modern Art in New York once and and looked at uh, J- J- Jackson Pollock's huge canvas called One. And I had to sit down and and uh, stare at this thing for like a half an hour because it's, I had, it, it gave me a sense of ecstasy as if a door had opened to a larger world. Well, that wasn't exactly religious in in the uh, strict sense, but I think it's the same sort of of uh, of uh, like what Rudolf Otto called the mysterium tremendum, like when Isaiah says, "Woe is me, for I am undone," or Peter says, "Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man," or Moses who dares not look at God. Uh, and uh and the, the amazing statement where God says, "Man shall not see me and live. boy, that that is really communicating the uh the overwhelming uh experience that we can have in a manifestation moment, an e- epiphany moment. uh now it's it's human emotions, as I say, but what else could it be? I mean, whether it's right. it's coming from inside your head or outside, that's the equipment you have to use. So yes, it's emotional, but it's it's no less profound an experience. So is it a miracle? That's unnecessary to say, but yeah, I think there is a reality to it. Uh, it, it is a a transforming, wholesome experience. There's no denying that.
2: Sure. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thanks for your question. All right. Thanks,
0: thank Danny. You. Appreciate it. Take off. All right. We got another call here. Ooh, no. Oh, no. Okay. Hello. I'm just calling low value mail. One moment, please. Hello. Oh, hey, y'all hear me? Yeah. Yeah. One second. All right. You are on with Dr. Price. Go ahead. Hey, how's
3: it going? So great, I had great. two questions. Yeah, I had two questions. The first one's a little bit of like personal identification in terms of religion, and the second question is more of like stuff of historical value. So the, my first question, before I forget it, is um, I like I am ethnically a Jew, but um, I find a like mainstream atheists, be kind of annoying and pushy. <laughs> Um, you know, people who want to believe what they want to believe, they could do that, you know, in their own privacy. Um, I think I've found what my personal um, view on uh, faith is. Uh, first off, uh, I hate the, okay, so what it is, uh, I hate the institutionalism of religion where, where I believe that if. An individual being if they want to have a relationship with a higher power that it is between said individual and said higher power and that they do not require that there should be no requirement of an intermediary such as a priest or a rabbi or an imam or a cleric and no intermediary of a building such as a church a temple or a mosque and that that's one part of it and the second part of it is um I, the only way i could describe it as so i'm also russian and i know in the history of russia like they used to be uh imperialists and ruled under the rule of uh, uh orthodox christianity and one of their battle flags was the russian imperial flag but on top of it was written tsunami Bog," which translates to with us as god but I've come to my own realization that which translates to God is now busy um, and that if God's busy, you got to figure it out on your own and tying that into my first part of and if God wants to intervene in your life, he will come to you personally and it will only be you and such higher power and nobody else in between. And that's my first question. And then uh, I'm gonna let you answer that. And be- before I let you answer that, I just want to remind you. My second question is about stuff like about the Jesuits and the council of the Messiah.
0: Sorry, what, what was your first question? What, what exactly was it? For? Can you just sum it up? Do you need an institution uh, of religion? Oh, do you need it? Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I'm I'm just trying to understand what like what would I be categorized as? Someone who believes that there maybe a god but he is busy he's probably sitting back get back in a lawn chair drinking a beer and watching all of us just you know make him <laughs> yeah, make yeah. a mess right
1: yeah i uh find it uh difficult and and almost comical to imagine god uh at the control board like uh A lot of religious language suggests, uh, even in the Gospel of Luke, uh, there's this thing where people report to Jesus on a Roman massacre of Jews in the temple, killing them while they were offering their sacrifices. And Jesus surprises him. He says, "What do you think that uh, all of those people were worse sinners than the ones that didn't get massacred? Or how about those people that got crushed when that building in Siloam fell on them? You think they were worse sinners than everybody else in Jerusalem?" Uh, and it's it's the, he's pointing out the absurdity of this, uh, like, uh, oh, thank God I missed my plane because uh, everybody else died in a crash. Wait a second, are are you saying that God uh, had all of them slated to be killed but not you so he worked it out so you'd miss your cab or something? It it just (laughs) seems silly. Uh, Not so much false or reprehensible even, but just kind of ridiculous. And so uh, the the literalistic, uh, or I should say personalistic symbols we use for God uh, can't be. I mean, even if there is some kind of God <laughs> that you're making them like Zeus or something, it just uh, it's unworthy uh, of of the ultimate being, which you know presumably God is. Now, do you need uh, uh, an institution? All I know is that I, I I know there are people that have found uh God or experienced the holy, in the wilderness by themselves and they found church uh, never too much of a distraction. They, they couldn't find God because of all the, the sideshow. Uh, but then there are also people that, uh, uh, St. Cyprian called church the school for sinners. They're people that just want the transcendent, and they want God, but they just don't know how to go about it. And so uh church, synagogue, a mosque, whatever, is, is helping them acclimate themselves to uh, what religious discipline is and, and it may give them enough to go on to get out on their own uh so i i kind of think individuals are different like my mother-in-law is a devout catholic uh and uh she just loves the church and takes it very seriously and studies on her own and so on uh she's uh not just passively receiving propaganda though I don't in a sense I think she is I don't share beliefs but uh, she has really assimilated it and it's fuel for her fire Uh, she is doing her own thing and so I think it, it sort of depends on the individual some people need that help they need this thing to identify with and to to learn from people who may be farther along the path than they are. But there are others who just find it oppressive and and a big charade. Uh, I would recommend a book, if you can find a copy, I'm sure you could on uh, one of these book search services. Uh, Colin Wilson uh, wrote a book, years, oh, I think back in the 50s, called Religion and the Rebel, and each chapter is devoted to somebody like Kierkegaard or Dostoevsky or one or another famous um, person that is a major religious character, teacher uh, who was kind of a heretic. And I think you you might really enjoy that. It's that, Colin Wilson. Oh uh, no 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 that's
3: that's right up my alley. Religion yeah, I think like- yeah, I got that written
0: down. All right, what's your uh, what's your next question? And the- and then uh, my second
3: question was something uh, a little more rooted in history so back in i think it was the year 265 or 256 it was the council in the and it was basically i think the vatican was just like beginning the finalization of uh, everything they were writing down about like what is to be written down in his in uh for biblical history and to tie into that the uh but well, what about the writings of Jesuits? Because as far as I understand, the Jesuits were like the world's first like official form of foreign intelligence. Every time missionaries were sent abroad, they would send Jesuits with them to observe how uh, missionaries were being interacted with by you know the local indigenous savages, and they would report back. Oh, they're welcome. the Oh, they're standoffish. Or oh no, they just killed all of our missionaries on site. And and uh, so just like how far extensive are you in terms of uh, what the Vatican has done in terms of uh, recording, writing down, censoring and doing the limited release of written
1: history? Well a lot of people think that the council of Nicaea which was the first big ecumenical worldwide church council with with all the bishops they could get together that a lot of people think that their work was to establish what books would be part of the bible and that isn't the case, actually. Uh, that was uh, a, a very gradual process that went on till about s- the year six hundred, and and there are still churches that have more or fewer books in their Bible than the others. So that's that's the first uh, big council that that tried to set up a official list of scriptures was, um, uh jeez, what which, which one? the Council of Trent uh, in I think the Renaissance era, which is hundreds of years uh, into the church and uh but uh the the in 325 the council of nicaea was all about uh christology like what 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 kind of a being was jesus was he a man was he god who took on the disguise of a man or was he somehow fully god and fully man and how are they were the two natures related and so on uh, they still had not uh, come that close to a definitive list of books yet. Uh, it wouldn't be long before you had the basics worked out for the New Testament anyway. Uh, the Old Testament books uh, or the the Hebrew scriptures, that also took a while. Uh, it, it seems like probably by, oh, 100 years. Um, uh CE or AD whichever you prefer uh they had uh, hammered that out um, but the um the, the Jesuits that uh is also that was a sort of a response to protestantism and there was this sort of intelligence operation you're talking about and uh the, the uh they developed a, a kind of sinister reputation at least among non-catholics But they were also the great (laughs) scholars of the Catholic Church. And uh, like I learned a lot from a couple of 20th century Jesuits, Uh, Frederick Copleston wrote the definitive huge history of philosophy. And his religion doesn't make him distort anything. The guy is incredible. Uh, And the other is Raymond Brown, a New Testament scholar who wrote huge encyclopedic books about the Gospels mainly, but but some other books too. And again, he he doesn't slant the thing. He, he would have been burned at the stake in earlier centuries. But the Jesuits have always had this very high standard of scholarship. Now, what that had to do with their sort of church political activities, I don't know. But they're uh they're they're really a scholarly bunch and I guess they're sort of enforcers too, but I'm not sure.
3: Uh, that's interesting. And uh one last question. Uh what are your thoughts on like uh real new age, new world, and when I say new world like North America like the Americas, uh, uh, different like especially after like the revivalism of Christianity during like the eighteen hundreds, but especially now because you know, like, the main subject that Dana has you bring on, brought you on about was, like, the existence of Christ. Um, I don't know if this is, like, into your foray or not, but black uh, Hebrew Israelites. Like, people say, you know, oh, Jesus wasn't white, he was Arab, or he was black. And I'm like, well, Dr. Yacoub might have created, you know, white people 6,000 years ago. And, like, that can't just hit. Like, I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong, but, like, well, what are your interpretations of, like, um like uh, interpretations of Christianity that have come come out come about whether it's like 200 years ago, 150 years ago, or even as recently as uh, Robert Poole, who's who later became the Honorable Elijah Muhammad in 1945 and the Nation of Islam, and all these different reinterpretations of Christianity through different you know views. Well, Especially they black all is, sort
5: of
2: black go
1: like uh, well yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Please. Uh they all uh are kind of like the Protestant reformers. Uh they once they got the idea that they should read the like the founders of these different groups, when they got the idea that they ought to read the Bible and interpret it for themselves rather than being spoon fed by whatever church they were raised in. Uh, they they began to say, hey, uh, I, there's a bunch of ways of reading this and i'm not so sure i've been getting the straight stuff uh, uh william ellery channing was one of the the great uh, unitarians back uh, a couple hundred years ago he he was well him and uh uh, Charles Taze Russell, who started the Jehovah's Witnesses, both of them uh, heard about hellfire and all that, and they said, "I, I can't believe uh, God would, uh, you know, create people just to send them to hell." Let me take another look at this, and they both came up with the feeling that, "Look, uh, there's a few weird passages in there, but I don't think it teaches anything about people going to hell." And of course, that's not going to go over big in the uh, churches they were raised in. So eventually, they and others who agreed with them decided, look, let's hang out our own shingle and do it our own way. The Mormons, um, it it was different with them. They they did reread the Bible, but they also had what they claimed were new scriptures. I mean, ancient, but newly discovered, the Book of Mormon and all that, and that kind of gave them more Bible to work with, and so they they became a little farther out, a little more heretical, but they started theirs, and, and like the Jehovah's Witnesses, they are now a world religion in their own right, they were so successful, millions of, of uh, members. And almost all of these groups did this too. Let's take a second look at scripture. Maybe it doesn't mean what we were told. Maybe it means this. And they'd start up something and people say, yeah, hey, that sounds good to me, which is how all the Protestant groups started too. And uh, the Catholic Church warned Martin Luther, you know, if you repudiate the authority of the Pope and the bishops, you know what's going to happen. Every Tom, Dick, and Harry reading the Bible is going to become his own pope. It'll be chaos. And and Martin Luther was a little too optimistic. He said, oh, no, the Bible's clear enough. Everybody will agree, well, I'm afraid he was wrong because he got thousands of denominations now, which is okay by me, right? What the heck? I'll let, let honest minds differ. Now, with uh, the Nation of Islam, uh, it was more like the Mormons, uh, only they had, like, as I remember the story, Elijah Muhammad claimed to have been visited by this master Fard or farad, a couple of different pronunciations, who was Allah himself incarnate. Now that's real heresy, right? From a from an Orthodox Muslim standpoint. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but they came up with, and of course they they uh, they claim to be Muslims, but the Quran seems to have very little to do with their beliefs. And they came up with this weird pseudo history that you mentioned about uh, Doctor Yakub uh, creating all the different races, and the the worst ones were the white devils and all this, and uh, and they they threw in cheap science fiction uh elijah muhammad is still alive orbiting the earth in a spaceship Uh, um, seriously and i uh, i mean that's actually true i don't know if you can take it seriously but uh, that's what they think and uh and then um when Mah- Elijah Muhammad died, his son Warith Dean Muhammad took over, and he changed the the whole thing to make it a, a lot more like orthodox Islam, and that's when. Uh, uh, Lewis Farrakhan, who had been a lieutenant of Elijah Muhammad, uh, said, "Oh no, you don't. We're sticking with what uh, the founder said." And they split. I don't know which group is is bigger, but there's also this Black Hebrew Israelite group, which I really know nothing about. I know there are various uh, black Israelite groups. I had a friend who had been a member of one of them, and uh, I-, I can't keep them all straight. Uh, it's it's just fascinating, the religious imagination. And I've got no complaints unless people start uh, propagating hate.
0: All right, right. all right, thanks, caller. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess there is an element to just the amount of power that you can kind of derive if you're at the top of one of these, right? Like if you start a new religious organization and you happen to be at the top and they start flourishing like that's uh a serious position of power that you can find yourself in all right I well, uh, thank you for your time we're, we're gonna take uh one more call if, that, if that's okay with you mm-hmm. uh and uh yeah all right one moment please hello thanks for calling low value mail one moment sure 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 hey hey all right and you are on with dr price go ahead
4: Hey, what's going on, fellas? A um, uh, quick uh, question, Doctor Price. Uh, I was—you've you, written multiple books, correct?
1: Oh, you wouldn't believe. I was going to
4: ask, <laughs> <laughs> ask which one would you recommend most?
1: Like, well, it depends on what you're interested in. If it's the historical Jesus thing, I, I think my best one is probably. Uh, the one called uh, The Incredible Shrinking Son of Man. Uh, okay. Uh, and if you're interested in the Christ myth theory, I uh, which would be a good sequel to that one, uh, there's a book I did called The Christ Myth Theory and Its Problems. But I have other books on theory about the Bible or uh, on the Old Testament uh, or... Uh, evangelicalism and its problems. In fact, uh, there's loads of them that are uh, listed on Amazon.
4: Oh, no, I'll start with those two. That's perfect. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I
2: hope you'll enjoy it. I,
4: no, probably will. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second quick question is uh, and then I'll hop off after and listen. Mm-hmm. Um, just because um, I, I see all the superheroes behind me. Ah, yes. And um, I... <laughs> I I just wonder what, like, do you think that's like, kind of like a natural cycle of mythology? Like, do you think in maybe a couple thousand years those guys will be like, or at least one of those guys will be like the next Jesus Christ? And um, kind of adjacent, like, what do you think the importance of like mythology is to human beings? And maybe even as we progress and all that. And uh, thanks for the show and um, listening
1: off call thanks no, all okay. right uh, thank you i do think uh comic book superheroes are the modern mythology and, and there's a few other things that would qualify as well like uh star trek and uh uh fiction like that of conan the barbarian these things are genuine mythology and are exactly analogous to the ancient myths which a lot of people must have literally believed in, but uh, when you read some of the sophisticated uh, philosophers and intellectuals and so on from the ancient world, they, some of them said, these things are fictions, but they're meant to teach us things. Others thought, yeah, all those gods and heroes, they really did exist in some kind of past. And some uh, people like Herodotus, the historian, believed that, oh, yeah, there there must have been a Hercules. Uh, Now, the trick is to figure out when exactly he lived. And he had various pieces of evidence, but he said, I I guess we just can't, uh, there's no coherent way to know. But they, they took it very seriously. Some did. And even the ones that didn't believe it literally took it seriously, but Uh, Like Odysseus was used by the Stoics and others as an ideal figure. You ought to be like this guy. He was so resourceful and this and that and the other thing. Was there an Odysseus? Uh, Probably not. I guess there could have been, but it doesn't really make any difference. The story um, embodies an ideal and the character does. Well, that is certainly true uh, of Superman and, and Batman and others like just to take those two. Batman has no superpowers, he's just brilliant and incredibly dedicated. He's very much like Doc Savage in the pulp magazines. He's just taken human potential as far as it will go, and as a result can do things most people would think impossible. Uh, Well, are you going to be able to, to go as far as he did? I don't know, but, but you can sure go a lot farther than any of us do. I had a student once who uh, was a bodybuilder, a martial artist, very intelligent, and he told me that this was because he was inspired by Spider-Man and Luke Skywalker, uh, that he felt like I ought to fulfill my potential and be all I can be, and he did. Uh, so I, I, it seems to me obvious that's kind of what they're for. But there was a living case of it. Now Superman, on the other hand, assumes you have great gifts that you're born with. I mean, these two things are not, you know, mutually exclusive. But Superman has these great gifts. So what's he gonna do with him? Is he gonna just enrich and glorify himself? Or does he uh, understand that, well, like, like Stan Lee says, with great power comes great responsibility. He knows immediately that he must use his powers for the good of mankind. He's like the Nietzschean Superman. He knows he's superior to the whole human race, but, but what's his attitude? Uh, he does. He's not patting himself on the back. These are gifts to him. And he's like a Buddhist bodhisattva. He exists to help save the world. And you see in the comics, sometimes some people understand, well, I can't leap tall buildings in a single bound, but I can do more than I'm doing. Uh, I'm gonna be what uh, as close to, to my version of Superman as I can. You know, if everybody did that, no matter how modest their abilities may seem, what a difference that would immediately make in the world and, and uh, that's the lesson uh, superman has been about and it, luckily it's also entertaining all kinds of great stuff happens uh, to to make this a bright shining Super world, uh, it, unlike I would say this about Tolkien. In the Lord of the Rings, you've got this cosmic battle of good and evil with all these uh, superhuman and inhuman beings, and and it all depends on the heroism of these shrimpy little hobbits who'd rather be home watching TV. But uh, they they're called upon to take their uh, their share of the the burden, and they manage to defeat Sauron and all that. And then when that's over, they get back to the shire and they find out that the place is being urbanized and uh, like urban renewal by a bunch of idiot town council members. <laughs> they're ruining the joint, and now they have to stop this. Well, I think it's obvious that what Tolkien is saying there is you're not going to have to fight Sauron. I mean, you might. I mean, Sauron was kind of Hitler. He was kind of the Antichrist. You might live in such a time. But even if you don't, you've got things that are on your shrimpy level, your worm's eye view level that most of us perforce live on. That's a contest of good and evil, too. It's just that these mundane events cast a long shadow that is captured by mythology. Uh, and you're not Frodo, but uh, but you're Frodo on your own level, or you can be if you realize duty calls. And that those are just some examples. But I, now, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not trying to dignify something that is frivolous. I, I don't happen to care. Uh, I mean, I'd be reading uh, superhero comics just because they're a lot of fun. But I do see that they have a deeper meaning. So, you know, all the better. I feel right. the same way about monster movies. I love these old flicks with the wolf man and all that, but it's not hard to see. They, they have great lessons to teach about human nature and psychology. I mean, much more than the average viewer might consciously know. But I, I see all these popular things as the sugar that makes the medicine go down.
0: Yeah, I wonder if that's all related to Joseph Campbell. Actually, you know what? We have one more caller, if if that's okay mm-hmm. with you. Does that work for you? Sure. Okay. Uh, one moment, please. Hello. Uh, you are on low hey. value mail. One, hey, just one second, please, while we patch you through. And you are on with Doctor Price. Go ahead.
5: Great. Hi, this is Joe's
1: mm-hmm.
5: um, Joe the uh, lawyer. Joe. So I wanted to ask you a question. Doing well. Uh. So I'm Jewish, I don't have a dog in this race one way or another, but uh, I just wanted to pick a brain about two things. Uh, one, the concept of the uh, Holy Ghost. I mean, it seems to me that it's the result of a mistranslation of Ruach HaKodesh, which literally translates to uh, Holy Spirit, but what it, it actually, uh, more accurately, should be translated as is Divine Inspiration. Uh, and it's uh, you know, someone translated it literally, and I, I, I don't know, that's just, that's just a, the way I see it. And uh, the other thing I want to pick your brain about is regarding uh, whether or not Jesus existed, I don't know. He's one of a number of false messiahs as far as I'm concerned, but uh, number of what? he's mentioned it. False False, false messiahs. messiahs. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. like Bar like Kokhba and, uh, you know, Shopsai uh, but the, uh, I just wanted to know regarding Josephus, which lived, he lived, uh, shortly thereafter and mentioned him. So, I mean, it, it could be that it was added in after the fact, because I think the first recorded, uh, you know, um, thing that we could find about us, it was like maybe two or 300 years later, but, uh, supposedly this was written within, uh, the century that, uh, Jesus lived um but anyway uh i i yeah, i'm just curious about your thoughts regarding that
1: well uh with uh, uh josephus there's been a huge uh dispute among scholars as to whether that's genuine or not now it's it's obvious that religious conservatives favor the notion that it is a genuine near contemporary reference to Jesus. But there are also atheists that uh, think that it was legit too, uh, because most atheists are not mythicists. Most of them believe that there was a historical Jesus and that he was an okay guy, but not what Christians say he was. Um, uh, I tend to think that there are Stronger arguments against it, it's being authentic, but it almost doesn't matter because he would have, Josephus would have lived some 60 years after, or written some 60 years after Jesus, and uh, all uh, for, from all we can be sure of he's just relating what christians believe same thing with tacitus who wrote uh oh about 20 years later roman historian uh he from what he says about uh crestus as he calls him we we don't know i mean there's nothing he wouldn't have heard from christians and so it's not clear that it would count as eyewitness um testimony anyway, but it remains a huge matter of debate. Now, as for the Holy Spirit, I'm with you on that one. Uh, It seems to me that uh, throughout the the Hebrew scriptures, the Holy Spirit is this divine uh, energizing that produces prophecy for one thing. Sometimes it just says the word of uh, the Lord came to me, but uh, sometimes it, the, the spirit is involved. And with Samson, right? If the spirit of the Lord comes upon him and gives him superhuman strength, he doesn't have it all the time, but when the spirit descends upon him, he does. Now in the New Testament, usually that's the same picture we have. The, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out, which doesn't sound very personal to me, uh, as a substance almost, and the disciples receive it and begin to speak in tongues and prophesy, and, and so on. Well, uh, where is the the personality? The, the Holy Spirit is supposedly the third person of the Trinity. Well, what is personal about him? You read in the epistles, the letters of Paul and others. uh, He speaks of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, or the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Uh, He says, don't quench the Holy Spirit as if it's an inner fire, but there is one place where he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And it seems like that is the basis for Christians saying, well, if he could be grieved, he must be a person. I wouldn't, I think that's jumping the gun. Now, probably more important in their thinking is at the last supper discourse in the gospel of John Jesus says to the disciples well you know i'm going to be leaving you soon but don't worry i'm not leaving you on your own uh, i uh, i have prayed to my father and he will send you another paraclete which means any number of things, a comforter, an advocate, a a defense attorney, an advisor. It's hard to know what it means there, but it says he will convey to you what I said that you may have forgotten and altogether new teachings that you just couldn't handle uh, in in my day. Uh, Well, who's he talking about? he he says he is the spirit of truth. Uh, Now, I think there's a very good case to be made that he is talking about a person, uh, namely the author of the Gospel of John. I don't think he was thinking of some disembodied uh, Holy Ghost. Uh, But uh, so I I tend to think, yeah, uh, there is no personal holy spirit unless you want to call god or the resurrected jesus that but uh, that's trinitarianism and well how'd they get two persons in the uh, in the Godhead. Uh, there, I think that was kind of a compromise, because Christians were beginning to worship Jesus, yet most of them were Jews, and it was important to be a monotheist, and they said, well, wait a minute, how are we going to worship Jesus if uh, there's only one God? And eventually they had to say, well, there sort of is only one God, but he subsists in two persons, whatever that means. And nobody's ever been able to figure it out. Uh, and uh, I think huh. there's probably nothing to figure out there. Yeah.
5: All right, Joe, any, anything think, else? I mean, I'll take your word for it. it sounds interesting. No, that's it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: all right. Thanks, Joe. Take care. Uh-huh. Bye. All right, all right. All right. That has been uh, the show. Thank you very much. I really appreciate this, Dr. Price. That, that was a really fun episode. Where can people find you uh, if they want to learn more?
1: I do have a website that's sort of under construction, but but it's functional as is. Uh, it's robertmprice dot all one word with an o r at the end uh, dot com. Yeah, Robertmprice.mindvender.com dot com. And they'll you can find like oh uh, lists of my writings, uh, an archive of a lot of my old sermons um a whole lot of book and movie reviews oh um, maybe some of my stories i forget now but a whole lot of my writings going back several years
0: okay great um and you know what i saw when i was looking you up on wikipedia that uh, a few days ago was your birthday is that correct yeah all right well happy it was and it's your 69th birthday yeah
2: oh boy well happy belated birthday (laughs)
0: <laughs> Your 69th birthday This is episode 69 We have uh, one of the Gematria One of the Gematria guys Who listens to this show Is probably going to go nuts Over that fact Which is why I want <laughs> to grab it up but uh thank you so much for uh for joining the show everybody we have the after show starting in 15 minutes the link is uh pinned to the chat but you can find it i will be there we'll be watching some uh videos same stuff we always do uh thank you very much dr price support the show patreon thank you for having me it's
1: great fun or twitter and uh, you should start a twitter are you on twitter no i don't have time to keep up with everything on my website or email (laughs) yeah yeah
0: Right, right. I feel like you'd have a lot of a lot of good stuff to add on there. But anyways, I uh, appreciate your show. Hopefully, we'll uh, we'll bring you back on because I, I feel oh, right. like we, I or, we only uh, scraped the surface on this one, and I think uh, there were so many calls I couldn't even get to. So, oh no, uh, no. thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll bring you back. Uh, thank you very no, much. No. Sorry about the little technical issues. Uh, good night, everybody, and uh, we'll see some of you in the after show my shit heroic Empathic abilities Yeah, my face be also oh stolen stoic Please blow up, nigga That just means I'm working They see me as
1: a leader So that's why I'm captain Kirk These tracks from the stars That much is for certain You can feel this hit If you up or if you hurt I'm raising my stock Not talking my feet In some Birkin Number
0: Johnny Five Got a fucking short circuit. Bring the track to life When I speak phenomenon When I hit she feel that shit
1: In her abdominals These rappers make me laugh Like comic view They comic view You know I got a ball out, I hit the track Running just like Sonic do They don't want to turn On my light switch Yeah They was trying to get me On my hype. Yeah, they don't wanna turn on my light switch. Yeah, they try to down me up some KO type shit. They don't wanna turn on my light switch. Yeah, we pullin' up fresh on some flight shit. They don't wanna turn on my light switch. Yeah, they don't wanna turn on my light switch. They don't wanna turn on my light switch. They was trying to get me on my hype shit. Yeah. They don't wanna turn on my light switch. Yeah, they try to down me up some KO type shit. Yeah, they don't wanna turn on my light switch.